So we're in Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20, and tonight I'm going to preach on demon possession and self-harm. I'm not going to read the whole story, I'll tell it as we go along. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you humbly, to you the creator of all things, the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of our souls, the keeper of our souls, the saviour of our souls. Sustain us, we pray, also through your holy word. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Now, in some Christian circles, you would see people really seeing demons behind everything. And they even make a living out of that by having professional people, so-called professional people, and they can break bonds and they can break the power of Satan and bind Satan and free you from demons and so on. And then on the other side you've got the atheists, liberal theologians, psychologists who say there is no such thing as demon possession and there's a psychological explanation for everything. Now as Christians who believe the Bible, we're in the middle of that and we know that demon possession is a reality and yet we do not seek demons behind everything, as people do who like the books of Rebecca Brown. And they just see demons everywhere. So how should we approach this matter, and how should we respond to it? Well, first of all, we're going to look at the marks of demon possession. That's in verse 1 to 7. I remember some years ago, a missionary asked me, please, can you come with me? There's a Chinese woman, and... Her family suspects that she is demon-possessed. And so I went with the lady, the lady missionary, and uh, we got there. And just to cut a long story short, she wasn't demon-possessed. She, what had happened is she was lying. She was lying in bed, and this was for about two days or three days, and she didn't say a word. She just stared to the ceiling, toward the ceiling, and... <clears throat> Um, when her family spoke to her, she didn't say a word. She just kept on staring to the, into the ceiling. And it came out in the end she was bitter toward her family, toward her in-laws, and she punished them by refusing to talk to them. So that's not demon possession. Demon possession, there are certain marks of demon possession we find in Scripture. And we find many of these marks in, in Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. So to give you some background first, Jesus is now across the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee in the north of Israel. And now he's come to a Gentile territory. As we see in verse 11, they were herding pigs. Now Jews believe that pigs are unclean animals. They will not herd pigs. But these people are herding pigs. They are pig farmers. So where was this? Verse 1 speaks of the country of the Gerasenes. And then in the footnote you see some manuscripts say, Gergesenes, and others say Gadarenes. So where was it? Well, the the country of the Gadarenes, that's eight kilometers southeast of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, And then the country of the Gerasenes, that's 50 kilometers southeast of the Sea, of the Lake of Galilee. So I don't think it's possible that the pigs would have been herded there because we see them running and jumping into the sea. Uh, And so there's no sea close by. So I think the correct one is the Gergesenes, Gergesenes. The country of the Gergesenes, that's right on the east coast of the Sea of Galilee. But it is in the greater territory 
municipal territory of Gadara. So I think that's how the two come together. Now, never mind, Jesus and his disciples now, they've come to that part of the country, and here these two demon-possessed men, they come running out of the tombs, come running toward Jesus, as we read in verse 6. And Matthew 8, verse 28 says there are two of them. Now, Mark and Luke only mention one, uh, but I think what's happening here is uh, one of them is really kind of, he's the one that represents both of them. He's the one that speaks for the two of them. <clears throat> how does Jesus know he's demon-possessed? How, does, how do, do the disciples know that, that this man is demon-possessed? Well, there are certain marks of demon possession. The one is public nudity. Verse 15, you see the man, after Jesus had cast out the demons, he's clothed. Or in Luke 8, verse 27, they hadn't worn clothes for many days. They walked around naked among the tombs. And today it's the same. Demon possession, there's a mark of demon possession. Public nudity, public immorality, public sexual looseness. Uh, just look at Satanism. Satanism goes hand in hand with sexual immorality, with pornography, heavy metal. Hand in hand with immodesty and, and perverseness and obscenity, sexual immorality. Uh, so that's part of demon possession and of, of the work of Satan. And verse 2 also speaks of an unclean spirit. Because demons tempt people to be unclean, also sexually unclean. And then another mark of demon possession is, is an obsession with the dead. Verse 3, you see him among the tombs. Verse 5, they live among the tombs. And today it's the same. People who get involved in, in satanic things and with demons, they've got an obsession with the dead. You just look at Halloween. You just look at, at the heavy metal culture. Why have they got this obsession with the dead? Look at their t-shirts. Mummies and zombies and skeletons and human skulls. Another mark is <clears throat> social awkwardness, actually more than awkwardness, really withdrawing from society. Now, not everyone who withdraw withdraws from society is demon-possessed, but it's certainly <clears throat> true that people who are demon-possessed, they are asocial, they are antisocial, they, <clears throat> they keep to themselves, they, they just do not fit into society, as this man in verse 5, living among the mountains, or in Luke 8 verse 29, the demon driving the man into the desert. <clears throat> Another mark of demon possession is superhuman strength. So in verse 3 and 4, <clears throat> we see this man breaking chains and shackles. Or in, in Acts 19, verse 14 and verse 16, there's this demon-possessed person, a demoniac. And, and seven men, he beats up seven men. They run out bleeding and wounded, and their clothes are torn. <clears throat> Matthew 8, verse 28 says of this man in our passage that he that he was aggressive and they were dangerous. Now, what the, the biblical authors are trying to show us is not how strong demons are. It's trying to show us how strong Jesus is. That these superhuman people with superhuman strength because of the demons, Jesus, it's like nothing to him. He can just speak a single word and cast out the demons. So it shows his power. <clears throat> Another mark of demon possession is a continual screaming out with a different voice. Verse 5, you see of him crying out. Verse 7, crying out with a loud voice. Mark 1 verse 23 and verse 26, crying out. Acts 8 verse 7, same thing. <clears throat> There's a story of John MacArthur where he, 
is involved in a case of demon possession. I heard this in a sermon of his where he says, as he came there, this woman, I think it was a girl, cried out with a different voice. And, uh, <clears throat> and she said, oh no, not him, not him. You, you even hear this kind of thing today <clears throat> in heavy metal music. You hear them shouting and making these animal noises almost in their singing. It's not singing at all. It's screaming out like demon-possessed people. And they keep on doing this for an hour or for two. How do they do that? It's demonic. Uh, my friend spoke of a prosperity preacher in the village. He's a missionary. And in the village, there's a prosperity preacher next to his house. And this guy also, he screams and cries out. I heard this guy, actually. When I visited my friend, and he said, that guy can go on like that. <clears throat> I think an hour probably. And my friend is convinced that is demonic. Another mark of demon possession is self-harm. <clears throat> we see this in verse 5. The man cutting himself with stones. So, so demons tend people to self-harm. <clears throat> they do it through satanic games. They do it through social media. Encouraging teenagers to harm themselves or... Uh, daring teenagers or young people to do this. They do it through music, especially heavy metal um, and hard rock. They do it through uh, alcohol. They do it through drugs. They do it through bad company, wrong friends, evil friends. They do it through false religion, like in Leviticus 19 verse 28, people cutting themselves for the dead. Leviticus 21 verse 5, 1 Kings 18, remember Elijah in the showdown with the prophets of Baal, where they cut themselves with lances and with swords until the blood came out. <clears throat> so people harm themselves by cutting themselves, by, by even etching words into their flesh with sharp ob objects, by burning themselves with cigarette lighters, by sucking their arm until the blood, it's like a, it's shot. You see the blood coming through the skin, or pulling out their hair, or bashing their heads a, head against a wall, or hitting staples, slamming staples into their arms and legs. Now, not, not everyone who harms themselves or harms him or herself is demon-possessed. And yet, demons are the ones encouraging these things. Demons are the one, ones tempting people to do this. And some people do this, in, uh, do this to be accepted by their parents. Some people do this to be accepted by the group. They want to be accepted by friends. And, and really, it's, a, it's an outcry. It's like a, a cry, crying out for love, crying out to be loved. Like the story John Piper tells of a lady who had cut herself. She cut her stomach, but so deep she needed stitches. She needed to go to hospital, and, and the doctors would help this lady. And she did, she did it three times, a, quite an overweight girl. And when Piper asked her, why are you doing this? He visited her in hospital and she said, because I like it when the doctors touch me. I see everyone around me getting married. I see married couples. I see guys having girlfriends. And I see them <clears throat> holding hands or giving one another a hug. And no one hugs me. And I do this so that someone will touch me. Wow. It's sad. And people who do that should learn that God will accept us. God will accept us through Christ. God will adopt us as his children. What manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God? And people like that should also become part of a church <clears throat> where the church cares for one another and where people love one another. 
Now, some people think that, that physical pain, the physical pain will remove the emotional pain of the past. It'll help them forget the emotional pain of the past. And what happens is when they cut themselves or burn themselves or hurt themselves, uh, immediately there's a kind of a sensation in the body when, when the, there's this adrenaline rush. <clears throat> and so it gives you a sensation, but it doesn't help because later on you need to cut yourself more and more to get the same kind of sensation. And in that way, people become addicted to cutting or what other forms of self-harm. And then others hurt themselves, harm themselves, <clears throat> because they want to feel something. They feel emotionally dead inside, emotionally so hard because of things that happened in the past. And at least by cutting myself, I can feel something. Or some people say, I hate myself. I hate the way I look. And so... They don't care if they harm themselves and cut themselves and wound themselves and then they become more ugly. They don't care. They don't care because they're ugly already. But they must learn your body is, belongs to God. God created you. And if you're a Christian, God has also purchased you. He has redeemed your body and will do so finally at the resurrection. But you should honor God with your body. Glorify God with your body. Give your body as a living sacrifice to please God. And the Lord also wants those people to focus on inward beauty of a good character, the inward beauty of a good character rather than the external beauty. External beauty that's just going to fade. You're going to get old and wrinkled. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is vain. But a woman who honors God should be praised. Other people harm themselves because they see how happy others are on Facebook and how they look at their WhatsApp statuses and see, look how happy they are. They're always having a bra and friends and they're smiling and they're eating ice cream and they're at the sea and they're so happy. And happy family. Listen, you don't know the detail of other people's lives. You don't know if perhaps they've got inward pain just like you do and outwardly they're only, it's only an external smile, as Proverbs 14 verse 13 says. Even in laughter the heart may ache. So take your problems to the Lord. The Lord understands your pain. The Lord can heal the deep wounds of your heart. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So pray, pray verses like Psalm 25, in verse 16 to 18. I think I've got it right, because I'm preaching off the Afrikaans notes here. Yes, the verses are the same. Turn to me and be gracious to me. I'm lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble. Forgive all my sins. <clears throat> Psalm 42 verse 5 Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Psalm 62 verse 8 Pour out your heart before the Lord Cast your anxieties on Him because He cares for you Says Peter <clears throat> And then also talk to a mature Christian Bear your heart, share your heart Ask for counsel, ask for help Ask for accountability <clears throat> Other people harm themselves as a kind of a punishment for personal sin just about two months ago at our outreach at the homeless shelter, I met a man who slept outside on the pavement, right outside the shelter. I said, why don't you live inside? And he said, I'm punishing myself for my sin. Reminds me of Martin Luther before he was converted. He would punish himself by lying on a cold floor all night and fasting so much that he became weak through fasting. So these people, they, they, they punish themselves. They they hope God sees they're really sorry for their sins. And so they try to earn God's favor. Or maybe the sight of blood, when they cut themselves, the sight of blood will make them feel better and say, at least I've seen blood. I've now been punished for my sins. Listen, 
No amount of self-harm can earn God's favor. No amount of self-harm can take away your sins. Only the blood of Jesus can. Your own blood cannot. So ask Him for salvation and forgiveness of sins. Some people harm themselves because they feel they've, they've lost control of the rest of their lives, of all, every area of their life they've lost control, but at least they can control this area. They can cut themselves. They can harm themselves. But according to verse 5, if you keep on harming yourself and do so, do so purposefully, you are under the control of the devil, like this man. So ask the Lord to save you from this and tell him you want to submit to his rule. Acknowledge his sovereignty in all things. You are not sovereign over your life. You do not control your life. Submit your life to Christ. And acknowledge even the bad things that have happened to you, God can work together for good. People may mean things for evil against you. God will mean it for good if you trust him and love him. And then some people, of course, go to the, to the extreme. The ultimate, not only self-harm, but they take their own lives. They kill themselves. Suicide. And that happens because of demons and sometimes even because of demon possession. Like King Saul in 1 Samuel, we read in 1 Samuel where this evil spirit came upon him and in the end we know Saul committed suicide. Judas the same. Satan went into Judas. John 13 verse 27 and Judas committed suicide we learn from Matthew. Now I'm going to preach a whole sermon on suicide. The next sermon I'll do in this series. Number two, the solution for demon possession. That's verse 8 to 20. I met a man some years ago who was involved in the, actually many years before I met him, about 25 years before I met him, or maybe 20-something, he was involved with the Freemasons, and he thought it was just like a charity organization. I said, no, 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 no. I gave him some things to read, and I told him that this is very evil. It's demonic, and it's cultic, and it's occultic. And he was so angry at the Freemasons, he said, I will write them a letter immediately to tell them I want nothing to do with them. And, and he was serious. He was very serious about the Lord, that man. But he, hadn't, he didn't know that. And I shared that with him. Um, but then, then when another person found out about this, the person said, you must give this list to this, to this man. He must read through this list and pray every single line in this list to break all the demonic bindings. That's just... Nonsense, I think. Um, I watched a DVD that someone showed me also about 15 years ago. And in the DVD, the guy said, you should clean out your house. So anything that's from the Far East, you should throw out. Uh, now, I agree, we shouldn't have little statues of Buddha and Hindu gods. That's just evil and sinful. Um, and Or any occultic things, we shouldn't have those things. But really, to think that Oh, you, your little girl's got a, a statue fairy in her room and that's now going to bring demons into the house. That's absurd. Another man I knew, he said he had visited a professional person who could break bonds, a kind of a bondage breaker, and bind demons. And so this man said, yes, I went to visit such a man. He, this guy was a pastor and he said that it was great and it really helped me, but... But he lied because later on it came out he was a pedophile, this pastor. Uh, he had molested children. He tried to murder his wife and in the, in the end he committed suicide. Um, and then you remember the movie War Room? I quite like the movies of that Sherwood Baptist Church. 
but there was one scene in War Room that was not biblical, where this, the main actor, this woman, she chases Satan out of her house, and she says, Get out of my house, Satan, and go back to hell where you belong. Now, the Bible never says that Satan is in hell now. He will be cast into the lake of fire only in Revelation 20, verse 10, at the end, before the judgment, right before the judgment. And the Bible never commands Christians or gives them the authority to say they caused Satan into hell. And then other people, we find they think they can pray on high places, you know, like a hill overlooking a town, and they, they bind these territorial spirits before they go out evangelizing. And that's just all of these things. We don't find these things in Scripture. These funny and strange things, superstitious things, superstitious things people do. Nowhere does Scripture tell us to, to cast out demons in this way. So let's, let's see what Jesus did. So Jesus, we know he's Lord over the demons, and he commands these demons to come out of the man in verse 8. He asked the demon, what's your name? Not because Jesus didn't know, not because Jesus is ignorant, but because Jesus wants to remind these demons, you are accountable to me. Just like Satan is accountable to God, as we see in the book of Job, chapter 1 and 2. He has to report. And the one demon now speaks for the rest, and he says, My name is Legion, verse 9. A legion is a, it's a military unit of 6,000 soldiers. So here, here's about 6,000 demons in this one man. And later on we see them being cast out, and they're going to a herd of 2,000 pigs, verse 13. Demons are spirits, so they're not... They're not Limited by space. They spirits, Ephesians 6 verse 12, Ephesians 2 verse 2. So you can have a great number of demons in this one man. And the great number again, it emphasizes not the power of the demons, but the power of Jesus over the demons. That 2,000 or 6,000 demons, Jesus just speaks a word and he casts them out. <clears throat> so demons cannot do as they please. They cannot do as they want. And they beg Jesus, please do not send us out, out of this area, out of this territory, in verse 10. They're afraid Jesus will cast them into hell now. We read that in Matthew 8.29. And in Luke 8.31, if you compare those passages, and that's where demons will be cast in the end. They knew that. Matthew 25.41. And so they're afraid in verse 11 and 12. Please, please do not send us out of this territory. Send us into the pigs. Give us permission. So why does Jesus give them permission if Jesus knew that these pigs are just going to run and rush into the sea and drown? Verse 13. We see that happening. So why? Well, maybe, maybe he wants to show to this demon-possessed man, you are really freed. And to the others, this man is really freed from his demons. And maybe he wants to remind us that our lives, a human life, is much more valuable than the life of many animals. So if you feel sorry for the pigs, I want to ask you, would you have been happy with all these people who came out in the end? Would you have been happy if, if the pigs were still there but the man was still possessed? And by allowing the demons to go into the pigs, Jesus also wants to make very clear to us, the readers, this is not some so-called psychological problem the man has. This man was, was delivered from demons. Now, the people who took care of the pigs, they weren't happy. They just ran. They just ran away and went into the area and told everyone, come and look what happened to the pigs. Come and look what happened to the demon-possessed men, verse 14. And Matthew 8, verse 33. 
And so the people come out and they see, there's the man, there's the man who was possessed. And he's in his right mind, he's clothed, he's sitting at Jesus' feet, Luke tells us, sitting at Jesus' feet like a new disciple. And they're so afraid. Remember, the demons feared Jesus, now they too feared Jesus in verse 50. And the disciples tell them, verse 16, it says, it was told them by those who saw. I think that's the disciples. They're now telling them, let's tell you the true reason why this man is healed and why the pigs drown. There's a connection here. Now, they're not really happy. They're more worried about money. We've lost money, all our pigs. And so they ask Jesus, please leave our area. And when Jesus gets into the boat, this, boat, this, this ex-demoniac, he says, please, Jesus, I want to go with you. He begs Jesus. Now, when the demons beg Jesus, Jesus gave what they asked. When the people of this area, when they beg Jesus, Jesus gave them what they asked. He left. And now when this man begs, Jesus says, no, you can't come with me. So, Jesus says no. And the reason he does so is he wants to tell this man... I want you to go and say, to tell people what the Lord has done for you, or as Luke says, what God has done for you. How he has been merciful to you to free you from these demons. And the man does this, and he goes everywhere into the, the Decapolis, which is the place of 10 cities east of the Jordan. And then he goes and he says what Jesus did for him. So what he's doing is, he's acknowledging Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus says, go and tell what God did for you. And he says what Jesus did for him. He acknowledges Jesus as God. It is Jesus who saved him. It is God who saved him. And people marvel. They're amazed at the man's testimony in verse 20. So there you have the number one reason, or let's say the number one solution for demon possession, is the gospel and the message of the cross, where, where Jesus conquers Satan, where Jesus conquers demons. You find that as part of the armor of God in Ephesians 6 verse 15. You find that in 1 John 3 verse 8, Christ comes to break the works of the devil. You find that in Revelation 12 verse 11, where we see that they conquer through the word of their testimony and through the blood of the Lamb. You find that in Acts 26, 18, where Jesus sends Paul to bring people from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God. You find that in Acts 8 verse 5 to 7, Philip goes preaching the gospel and demons are cast out also. You find that in Colossians 2 verse 15, where demons are bound. By the death of Christ. So the message of the cross, that's what we preach. Now I don't mean we should use Jesus' name as a, a, like a kind of a, a magic formula as the, the exorcists in Acts 19 did, these Jewish exorcists. No, what I'm saying is, yes, we pray for the demon-possessed person, lots and lots and lots of prayer, but we share the gospel. We share the gospel that he is freed from the power of Satan and we pray that God would open their eyes. So ask the Lord to cast out the demons and do this knowing that they fear him. They tremble before him because they know he's the son of the most high God, as this demon-possessed man knew, or the demons knew in verse 6 and 7. And so with the gospel, also with prayer, the other thing is we praise the Lord. We sing praises because sometimes that's the way God uses to scatter the enemy and to drive them off. As in Second Chronicles 20 verse 22, the moment they started singing praise, the enemy started killing each other. John Piper has a story like that, where Piper tells of um, <clears throat> a girl, a student, some students called him and said, please, you must come, come and help us. I think one of these uh, fellow students are de is demon-possessed. 
And he got there, and this w- woman was screaming. She was shouting at the top of her voice, and, and like a, a maniac, running around. And she took out a penknife and threatened them, and he started reading the Bible. And this went on for two hours, and eventually they started singing praises. And then she went berserk, started rolling around on the ground, screaming in a different voice. And um, yeah, so in the end, she just passed out. They thought she was dead. She came to, and she couldn't remember anything. Her eyes were different, her face was different, her voice was calm, a different voice. And then she started coming to church. So the most important thing for the person, uh, the demon-possessed person, they must repent of their sins. If they don't, if the demon has gone out and they do not repent, that demon will come back. And it will bring more, as Jesus says in Matthew 12. And so, so plead with a person to accept Jesus, to receive Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. If they do not do that, if they allow sin in their lives, in their hearts, if they allow false teaching and listen to false teaching, or they play with demonic things, the demons will return. That's what Deuteronomy 28 warns against, playing with demonic things. Or anger, allowing sin in your life, you giving the devil a foothold, or false teaching, the doctrines of demons. But if the person is converted, if the person fills his or her heart with the word and, and turns away from sin, repents of sin and prays continually, prays without ceasing and grows with other believers and lives a holy life, then the demons will flee. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. <clears throat> and they, they will not dare to live in a Christian, to even try because the Holy Spirit dwells there and the Holy Spirit will not share that home. He will not share us with demons. Because he dwells in us forever. What has Satan got to do with God? Light and darkness got to do with each other. He who is in you is stronger than he is in the world. And the evil one will not touch us. And someone says, yes, but what about King Saul? What about King Saul? He first had the Holy Spirit and later he had a demon. Well, Saul's constant disobedience shows that he wasn't saved. And so the Spirit, yes, did come upon Saul, but only to empower him for his task as king. And not because he was saved. Like the false prophet Balaam in Numbers 24 verse 2 where the Spirit comes upon him when he gave a prophecy. And the example of King Saul teaches us that demons demons can come upon nominal Christians and they can possess nominal Christians. John Wesley has a story like this. He speaks of this demon possessed uh, person and then someone asked and said, how dare you enter into a Christian? And the demon answered, she's not a Christian, she's mine. And in another case, he tells of a woman in Kingswood, she was demon-possessed, and she, she screamed and screamed out and cried out, I'm damned, damned, lost forever. Six days ago, you might have helped me, but it's past. I'm the devil's now. I've given myself to him. Here I am. Him I must serve. With him I must go to hell. And she started praying to the devil, but by God's great grace, God saved her. Or to use the words of Jesus, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen.